0: You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to Episode 61. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And
1: I'm Michael Edwards.
0: And uh, I think I tweeted about this the other day, but I have to get this complaint out there into the the podcastosphere. What do you call it? I don't even know what it is. So Inbox by Gmail. I've been using it since very early on. Like I wasn't an original invite person, but I was in like the (laughs) the first couple weeks, and uh, I love it. And for a while it was only Chrome, and then they did the good guy Google thing, and they made it work with Firefox. I don't think it works with IE yet, but (laughs) IE. So... (laughs) so i've noticed in the last week that i will be using it sometimes in chrome my primary browser and uh it crashes Mm. and i i was like in the middle of something so i like quick i I didn't have time to think about it so like i opened up firefox really fast and and it worked fine and then it occurred to me that it works fine in firefox (laughs) and not in chrome
1: yeah, that what, seems messed up.
0: It, a little bit, right? Like this. I mean, I, I know browsers are complicated, but...
1: I mean, in the on. reverse situation, you'd be like, conspiracy theory. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. No, but this, this is just confusing. Like, oh, get your house in order, Google. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is just proof that they cannot win. Yeah. <laughs> like, if it works, it has to just work perfectly everywhere. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. someone's either an idiot or, you know, an evil, like, mad scientist cackling away.
1: It'd be a shame if something happened to your browser. <laughs> So
0: yeah, but that's you. Are you are you still on Inbox at all, or do you go no, full I'm back normal, to Gmail? Normal Gmail yeah. all the way. It's you know it's weird because I love the way Gmail looks, but when I do have to log into it for some reason, I'm like, oh, it's so dated. <laughs> <laughs> like just six weeks ago, I thought it yeah. was fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, Inbox just in the it's optimized for certain workflows, and it just hides certain buttons an extra click away. Yeah, that I'm just like uh, Gmail, the the things I do most often.
0: That's fair. The thing about it that's actually been bugging me is I've been dealing with a lot of calendar invites lately and they uh, they don't work (laughs) in inbox. So like in Gmail, you can just say like, yes, add this to my calendar. Can't do that in inbox. Don't know why. Yeah. Made by the same company. Same underlying technology. I don't know if it's just an oversight or if it's just literally not part of the interface. It
1: didn't make minimum viable.
0: Yeah, it did not. So anyway, tell me about this uh, camera that shoots people. So
1: someone made a gun out of a Game Boy that shoots pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it I know I just, it, like it's, reverse
0: shoots pictures because it, it takes...
1: Yeah, it, it receives <laughs> light. But it you hold it like a gun and it's using the Game Boy camera. And, uh, you know, because Russia is why this happened, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, this is just a crazy DIY DIY project and someone made a gun out of a game boy that takes pictures.
0: Yeah. And this is, I <laughs> think there's
1: nothing else to say about <laughs> describing
0: the the thing that there's a, there's a little video of it, which is like, of course, crazy, like techno music and super intense. And it's short just get the point across. But the thing that blew my mind most about this is oh yeah, the Game Boy had a camera that took really terrible black and white photos and printed them on receipt paper. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) which I mean, when you just, you know, we carry around these like amazing HD cameras and we've had them now for more than half a decade. But even going back in time, like trying to put yourself into the mental place of someone in like 1991, what about this seemed like a good idea? Yeah. Like we had Polaroid cameras. That I never
1: took, wanted a Game Boy camera.
0: No one wanted a Game <laughs> Boy camera. No one in Nintendo wanted a Game Boy camera. It's just and the the fact that he found like a working because the printer part is really the impressive bit of technology. Like it's a little tiny, yeah. You know, it's like a receipt printer from like a, a terminal at a Seven Eleven, and it, it's just like,
1: yeah. I mean, it, it works. It, it, t- it does print a picture, but it's maybe it looks- that's why this is good art, because the guy's like, well, this was already pointless. What if it was a gun?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's because the, the video, I mean, I, I don't remember seeing any explanation of any kind. Like, it's just like, this is the thing. Ah. It's just like,
1: we already <laughs> drew a cat riding a unicorn. Why not give it golden deagles and have fire <laughs> coming out?
0: Like, yeah, I mean, I guess I can't really come up with a good reason not to to do this so uh i guess he wins jokes on me oh dear i did not realize that so i in the video because i'm now i'm looking at the still shots in the video i thought he just had a little handle on it and actually if you look at the still shots in this darkly article there's an entire gun
1: yeah it's like a whole like See james the, bond ppk kind <laughs>
0: kind of. I, I did not notice that at first i thought it was just gun shaped this is Far more ridiculous. I think th- this is a good word for uh, what what Dorkley uses is bonkers. <laughs> bonkers is a good way to describe this. That's a
1: good '90s cartoon too. Uh, did he have a couple <laughs> games? Probably, or at least one back. Yeah, like Super Nintendo Genesis yeah. licensed game was hell. Is that,
0: that the kind of game it you got? Like with uh, Pizza Hut <laughs> pizza? <it> was, <laughs> You're like, oh great, a game with bonkers.
1: There's a we'll have to actually make it a proper topic sometime. The weird genre of 16-bit side-scrolling license games. Cause there's like, you know, take Wayne's World, for example has nothing to do with the the game, the movie world. It's just like, oh, there's guitars and drums attacking you, and you're in this crazy funhouse of nonsense. Yeah. And you jump left and right, and there's no clear direction. And there's like stuff you have to collect, and they're just like, yeah, that's the template. Just make every game under the same template.
0: Yeah, they're all <laughs> crazy, stupid sides. You know, actually, I feel like we should do this, because I feel like I just saw an interesting YouTube video about this where, Um, Some of the like crappy brands, so like 7up and Domino's Pizza and like that kind of stuff, they actually literally just reused the same engine and swapped swapped, like one or two assets. I think it's the
1: Bubsy engine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It probably is. So then it's like, oh, we'll just replace the little red dot character with a little California Raisins character. And <laughs> instead of collecting 7-Up symbols, he's collecting raisins. And uh, there you got a new game. <laughs> We're done. Ship it. And like, see, at least with Wayne's World, it's like, oh, successful movie. We want to capitalize on the, the momentum in the marketplace. That – I don't love it, but it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, But a brand like Soda – just be like, hey. Cool spot or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, those games, like, that was a thing. It was like, oh, just play this video game about our soda. I don't, okay. I mean, I don't remember how I felt about this as a kid, but I don't remember being enthralled.
1: Yeah, I remember being, you learned very quickly to be skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, i've been burned a lot by <laughs> these branded games
0: yeah i don't god i you know it's it's a cliche but you feel for that one kid who's like their parents were constantly bringing home like oh we got you another video game and it's annoyed
1: like,
0: <laughs> avoid the annoyed uh
1: so in other nintendo related news uh, a very popular youtuber has quit making nintendo videos because nintendo just keeps hijacking their you, Using YouTube's copyright, uh, I forget what they call that—the
0: DMCA takedown.
1: Yeah. Well, no, there's the other option where the video stays up, but they just oh, but divert they, all the revenue to yeah, the copyright yeah, yeah. owner. Yep. And so Nintendo's been doing that, and you know when you have a an actual career on YouTube, you have two million followers, and you rely on ad revenue to keep your your business going. Nintendo stealing your revenue is pretty annoying. Yeah. it'll piss you off
0: but before we get into the the smart version of this topic and and actually dissect this the very first comment on this my nintendo news article is someone with the name navi so you know it's already going to be annoying (laughs) yeah yeah you know this is already going to be annoying and they say good now they have time to get an actual job a real job and then the first reply to that is like totally the saving grace of like hey uh jealous much but you wish you could just get paid to play video games all day, yeah. because and th- this is like someone saying, "Hey, good, now you have time to get a real job." Obviously, like does not understand the new economy, and I, I kind of that bums me out a little bit because this is a person who, in this world of infinite possibilities that we're very fortunate to live in, this time in history, still thinks like if you don't put on a white collared shirt and a cornflower blue tie and go to your job and sit in a cubicle, then you don't have a real job. It's like, no, this person found a way to make a living doing something they love. Like, why are you shitting all over them? Just, they're not, they're literally not hurting anyone. Yeah. So, but there's way more interesting stuff to get Um, into.
1: Well, we do need to link to a college humor video about every YouTube gamer video ever. (laughs) Um, It's it's just tropey and fun. But we, we got better topics to get to nintendo stop it
0: yeah nintendo do stop it. and so that this video the the guy complaining about this like he he makes youtube videos about all kinds of games but he had specifically gone out and like bought the new nintendo hardware and got games he was excited to play so he could make like let's plays and reviews of these games and then th- this policy with i mean you're, you know you're a creator you've put lots of music and and videos and stuff out there like I don't think you have millions of followers, but if you were relying on this income, would you be kind of pissed if, like, I don't know, what what brand is your guitar?
1: It's uh, Epiphone.
0: Okay, so if Epiphone just came in and they were like, "Oh, he's playing an Epiphone, we should uh, we should get some of that money," <laughs> like that—that's just yeah, it doesn't seem right. And and it yeah, seems if, like if Nintendo- you're doing something
1: transformative and, and creative, then the fact that a Nintendo game was involved is fair use to me. <laughs>
0: Well, and and I think the argument from the corporate side has always been, oh, well, people aren't going to be playing our games if they're just sitting there watching you play our games on YouTube. And it's like, no, we have like tons of research to prove that that's not true. This is exactly like torrenting to me. Every time someone's like, oh, torrenting's bad. It's like, yeah, you know, we've proven that people who torrent the most also buy the most. They torrent stuff because they're media obsessed. Yeah, they want more. They need more movies, more comic books, more albums. Like, and then they still go out and spend all of their money on it because yeah. they're media obsessed.
1: I hope this just eventually drifts into the the NBA bloodstream at some point. Basically, just what Gabe Newell's already proven with Steam. Like, piracy is a service problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just if people are pirating your stuff it's cuz they can't get it's it. It's
1: too annoying or you've made too many hurdles to get it. And yeah. pirating is easier.
0: I do I mean this does walk an interesting line with fair use because it's not I don't think you could make an educational argument. Like he's not really trying to teach anyone anything. It is kind of news. Like he's reviewing and reporting a Let's Play, maybe not so much, but like a game review. That's definitely like yeah. news. Um but like a, a let's play I can kind of see Nintendo's argument on that like you're all you're doing is airing yourself playing our game and then you make money but then the other side of it's kind of like yeah but I paid you for the game
1: <laughs> and I'm <laughs> like why talking you... about your game it's free press <laughs>
0: yeah and also um I think one of the tenets of fair use is some like you you explained this to me recently like it it has to impact the purchase of the product.
1: Yeah, the commercial viability. Has commercial be- viability.
0: Thank you. So if I'm watching you play a game and I am in like it looks like a good game, isn't that more likely to make me go buy it? Not yeah. less? Like I'm I can't think of a time I've ever seen somebody play a good game and then be like, well now that I've seen it. I guess I don't have to buy it. Like that's yeah. not how video games work. It's like if someone gives you the synopsis of a book or tells you the murderer in a Who Done It, you just say like, "Oh, well, I guess I don't have to read now. <laughs> I get reading is done."
1: Yeah, you're impacting the commercial viability of the book.
0: Yeah, and th- I mean, this guy, like, you can see in the background, he's got like a little green screen and a bunch of camera equipment. Like, he's obviously this is like his his job. Like, yeah. this is what he does. And now Nintendo is going to lo- basically lose out on all the free publicity and Xbox and and uh, PlayStation get it all, I guess. <laughs>
1: uh, so we had some uh, new news and uh, government surveillance stuff, and I was excited to see this happen because it's on John Oliver's last week tonight. And whenever he tackles a topic, he takes his time and prepares a long-form rant And it's usually, it's usually not just funny, but it's well thought out. And this was no exception. But, um, so he decided to tackle a topic he he immediately said, Americans do not want to think about and don't care about. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he was able to bear that out with his little man on the street video segment where he's like, who is Edward Snowden? And everyone's like, did he sell information to other countries? Did he like all these like, oh, he's the head of WikiLeaks. Oh,
0: yeah. That, that I think bummed me out the most. People are just like, oh, because can, can, Julian Assange is kind of a schmuck, like Edward Snowden, good guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> please don't conflate those two
1: people. Yeah, um, but basically, he was taking up this like, you know, being honest. Like, there's this is a complicated issue. It's very technical. If you don't, if you don't have an interest, you don't have years of kind of involving yourself in tech. It's hard to get why government surveillance is kind of a big deal right now in our culture. And so that's why I thought this piece was so amazing cuz he so then about halfway through he he changes gears and he's like, "Yeah, so I went to Russia to talk to Edward <laughs> Snowden." Which is amazing
0: in <laughs> itself cuz you just think like, "Oh, you know, uh he's so far away, we're never going to know." And it's like, "Oh." Oh, 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 you just got on a plane. Well, he
1: skipped a week so he could yeah, pull this all together. And and so he he interviews Snowden and and the whole time he's just like laying into him like you know are you sure you it was your call to make this decision there's sensitive information the New York Times already screwed up and didn't you know you you said you gave this to journalists and they're being responsible well one of them already fucked up Yeah, and And, this this (laughs) all had me I was like oh man John like John Oliver's down on Edward Snowden (laughs)
0: like I was totally drinking the the hate Kool-Aid the
1: haterade and and just the snowden was like you know you got the sense early on that this was like, oh this is a sympathetic comedian we're just going to you know have a little victory lap that we're doing the good stuff and nope. crack some jokes <laughs> and and john oliver's like no we have to be better communicators no one cares yeah you've made more than a 3 days worth of headlines about this but still people don't get it so then he actually came out at the end and th- this is where
0: i was like yeah. the the stand up in the stadiums and cheer like <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I was fooled thank god I was wrong kind of moment <laughs> and he says um, we need to talk about this in a way that people will understand so he takes out his Macbook again because he showed Snowden all the people saying like I don't know who that is like I don't know who that is, confusing him with Julian Assange. And Snowden even said he was like, "Oh God, they think." I'm And the there was like the guy. theme of
1: like, "Oh, they do that to catch terrorists. They're just protecting us," kind of.
0: Right. Exactly. So then he he pulls it out again, and he shows all the people, men and women, all saying like, "Well, if the government had a program that let them capture like my dick pics," which is funny because <laughs> they use that phrase like a hundred and forty times, yeah. <laughs> but. Then, like, that would be unacceptable. That would need to be, like, reined yeah. in. And, like, all of a sudden, all these citizens are, like, super angry with the government.
1: And so, like, it, it was amazing how Oliver introduced it by, I think, showing a picture of his dick to Snowden. Yeah. <laughs> or that, just jokingly, they were pretending. But
0: I'd like to believe that was a joke, but with him, I you, never, yeah. you don't know.
1: And then, you know, there was kind of this little awkwardness for a second. And then he's like, no. I'm like, yeah, this is funny. This is a joke, but I'm serious. Yep, this is how you communicate with regular Americans, um, not with dick pics. But with <laughs> about using it as an example, well, it's a little of both. <laughs> and so then he makes Snowden go through kind of the laundry list of NSA and, and other surveillance programs that our government's There's been doing. So many, and character I have no idea characterize them solely on whether or not such and such a program would give the government access to your dick pics.
0: Yes, and how. So it's like with one of them is like, Oh, well, if you sent this dick pic in an email, there's a chance that your email would be stored in a data center that's offshore, which means the government's allowed to get to it when it's offshore. Even if you sent that email domestically to another domestic person. And it's like, I'm listening to this and I was like, I already understood how this worked. And this is still way clearer. Yeah. Like this is the people who set up this entire. Like framework of explanation are geniuses and need to do this for a living.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think pretty much every single program resulted in yes, they could get your dick pics, except the Section Two Fifteen metadata, which was they would know who you sent your dick pics to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, they, you know, if you were describing on the phone your dick, then they'd get a description. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, and the, the thing that I thought was really well edited and, and well described on, on Snowden's part and well constructed on, on John Oliver's part and their writers was like each of the programs captured. Ultimately, they end up with your data. But what was interesting is the reason there's so many different programs is where they get it. Yeah. So, like, let's let's use the email example. So, you send an email, like I send an email to you with a dick pic, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know I live in the states, you live in the states, so you would think like, oh, well, we're both domestic. They're both American get that. citizens. Right. There's
1: no, we have an expectation of privacy.
0: Exactly. But. If we're dealing with an international company and our data is even temporarily stored offshore, then they're allowed to get it at the time it's in the data center yeah. and then there's another program that allows them to get it when it's in transit to the data center then there's another program that allows them to get it when it's in transit from the data center to <laughs> the recipient
1: i'm just picturing like a medieval like road between two villages and there's bandits at every like at <laughs> yeah. both villages at behind every single rock and <laughs> up in every single tree and you're just like i was just trying to go down the road and there's like 500 of you robbing <laughs> me over and over it's it, it it it's exact. That's
0: a perfect visual because it's they're not all working together. They're all almost working against <laughs> each other. But it's like that. That was something I did not have that clear of a picture on. Like you imagine the government is this giant ominous force. That's all like this huge machine working sometimes for you, sometimes against you. But it's not. It's all these tiny, disparate – especially with security stuff because they're like secret from each other.
1: Yeah, and one of the best ones – so carrying this dick pic narrative forward was uh, the prison program, which everyone saw in the news, but no one – if you went out and asked on the street what was the prison program, no one could – Unless they are already a tech person that cared about surveillance. No one's going to be able to explain it to you. No. And so Prism is when the government deputizes American companies to become dick sheriffs and <laughs> gather dick pics on behalf of the government. Yeah. And it was just like, oh yeah, you just characterized. Now when people think, oh, like Google and Apple and Amazon were part of Prism. Oh, so they were helping the government get my dick pics. Great. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which I think is that's another really important one because a lot of people, if you ask them, like, do you trust the government? They would say no. Do you trust Apple? They would say yes. Do you trust Google? They would say yes. Do you trust Microsoft? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Microsoft. <laughs> They're just, it's the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I'm just lazy. Um, but that, I think that's important because like, I love Google. Like, I, I trust them mainly because I don't have anything with them that I'm afraid for the government to find out. That that not it, that doesn't make it okay for them to leak stuff to the government. I'm just saying I'm aware that anything I give them, the government could also see, and I act accordingly. Yeah. Um, which was another really interesting thing that Snowden said at the very end of the interview because this interview it's it's fairly long. Yeah, it's like, like thirty three minutes. Yeah, it's thirty three minutes. Well, at um, least
1: the episode is. I don't think the whole Snowden part is.
0: No that that's just the Snowden clip. Oh. On YouTube. It's 33 minutes. Or there was like it's 10 minutes. The min- setup and yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole like segment, I guess. Um, but something at the end, John Oliver was like, So you're saying we shouldn't send dick pics anymore because there's no way to do it securely. And he's like, No, you totally should. He's like, People should not change their behavior in response yeah. to an oppressive government. They should change their government.
1: Yeah. And I was like, That's kind of damn inspiring. And I like almost the way he puts it is like, I did this so that we could have the conversation about what kind of government do we want because before this conversation we were just getting this kind of government and we weren't having any say in it And it may come that we have the debate as a, as a nation and we decide, yeah, we like this oppressive government. (laughs) And we're just kind of like, now there's, now that you can't claim ignorance. And I think Oliver's example was like, you just found out that, you know, Shamu's pool is half whale tears. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, you can still have the debate, but you can't claim ignorance that it's just full of tears. um but i think what is that
0: is that like two weeks ago
1: no that was this was, episode earlier earlier one? in it
0: yeah and that guy was also on the daily show
1: um he was john oliver
0: no no, no the guy with the book about how abused the sea world animals are
1: oh right right i didn't see that episode but this whole form of reporting and i know it's a comedy show it's not a news show and whatever but it's also a news show. Um, <laughs> it really speaks to what I like to think of is that some people think like being serious and being comedic are like mutually exclusive. And I think that's total damn nonsense that comedy is not mutually exclusive to being serious. And this is one of the best examples ever of that. Wasn't this the actual,
0: the true definition of satire is that you're trying to make light of a truth. Like you're trying to draw attention to something that's true. So satire news Makes a lot of damn sense because they're trying to make you pay attention to yeah. something serious,
1: and it just speaks to like you know the work of Snowden and Glenn Greenwald and, and everyone else involved in kind of the Snowden leaks. Tremendous work. Keep doing it. You know, like you need to do the the true policy work and the actual analysis. But one thing that comedians tend to be very good at is communicating to regular people because their whole job is can you say something in one sentence that gets the reaction you want Yeah,
0: from the largest possible audience (laughs) in a positive way
1: yeah and their whole job is honing that craft and so that's why someone like john oliver is so good at just zeroing in on yeah you need to make this about dick pics because that's what regular (laughs) people understand and yeah, Can, you need a proper communication strategy for this because you cannot like he he cuts Snowden off a couple of times, just like die
0: <laughs> Can you imagine a glorious future where just all news is like comedy news? Because like I don't, you don't see this as much from conservatives. I mean, maybe there is conservative comedy news, and I just don't know of it. But I certainly don't know of it if it exists. <laughs> But I mean this is like and I the Daily Show is fairly left-leaning. I mean there's no you can't make any bones about that, but he does still rip left stuff apart when they go stupid. It's yeah. just that he typically agrees with them, so I think he does it less. But they're not free from scrutiny. And I mean the the last week tonight has been I think even less partisan and they're more just like yeah. general stuff that's happening which is even better because then it's like we're not left or right it's like this is a thing you citizen need to make a decision about
1: and they find sort of the strange bedfellows of politics of like this is a thing you all say you care about why is no one doing this thing (laughs) or yeah some of you support it some of you hate
0: it and yet it's just
1: Stay in the course.
0: Like what's happening here,
1: <laughs> and he just takes up these. I that's what I admire about it, it is like government surveillance is a hard topic to sell to regular Americans because they just don't care. And uh I think I felt the same about John Oliver's earlier episode about infrastructure. <laughs> Did you watch that? Uh, one?
0: The like city streets, yeah. And he's power lines. Yeah, he's stuff. like,
1: let's make it sexy. We need like a <laughs> a, a Bruckheimer. You know, Michael Bay movie trailer for infrastructure.
0: Oh yes, and it's it's like all about like you don't ever want to hear about it because that means it's working. Yeah. Yes, that was, see, and then I I have to side note here, I don't have HBO. I don't have HBO Go or Now or Plus or Premium or Prime. Present or, or yeah, <laughs> I have no HBO. I have none of the HBOs, Um which means I'm way behind on Game of Thrones and that sucks. But John Oliver. Is like the anti Nintendo. Like he has embraced social media and the internet so hard. Like he has just grabbed it by the shoulders and is just shaking it. Like <laughs> you will love me because like this this clip we link to in the show notes at sunriserobotnet robot.net sixty one. It's a you laugh every time. I love it. It's funny. <laughs> um this this clip it's an hour show. This clip is 33 minutes. That's not a clip. That's half the damn show. Yeah. It's presumably the main story of the show. But he knows that this gets people talking about the show, watching the show, you know, sharing the clips. Maybe some people will spring and get HBO so they can watch it. If not, there's ads on the YouTube channel. So now that I can
1: cut the cord and still get HBO, I'm in. I'm signing up the second HBO.
0: I probably will. I've never had HBO before. Like we never did it growing up. I never had it on satellite or yeah. anything. I briefly, I was sorry. <laughs> briefly in college because it was just an amenity of my apartment, but I never yeah, watched yeah. anything, so it didn't matter. <laughs> but this is like I think this is the he is the proof that this is the right way to do this. Like he is getting more attention and more success using this than he would oppressing it. So he has control over it. They have their own channel. They control the message. They get the money. If people share his stuff and mix it up, they probably leave it alone. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that for sure, but they probably would because they just want people talking about their stuff. He needs to like write a little like 10 rule manifesto, like <laughs> how to social media, how to web two
1: o. How do I tweet? <laughs> So we actually had one more little game copyright topic that we didn't group with the other ones but uh Game Grumps uh a, are they they're YouTubers? Uh they're a lot podcasters? of things. They're, I'm not familiar with them.
0: So the Game Grumps are um I think it's JonTron and Egoraptor. Oh right. Uh, so right. they're cartoonists, they're podcasters, they're let they do let's plays um lot, lots of game related media.
1: Do but- they do like the the Zelda debate or one of them the,
0: yeah Egoraptor raptor is, is that guy okay. who who does uh sequel-itis. gotcha um he also he's now getting into music and a bunch of other stuff so i mean they're diversifying their portfolio <laughs> i guess um but yeah they uh they do let's plays um where the two of them literally just sit on a couch camera you know capturing the tv camera pointed at them on the couch and they play games you know this is a really common use of the internet. Yeah. And uh, apparently they have been singing like pop songs while playing. And uh, they got a bunch just of their videos like, taken you know, down. You,
1: you're humming something. You're just like singing a line. It's not like yeah. this planned event.
0: No, not a performance. Not a <laughs> –
1: Well, it is a performance according to some yeah. <laughs> organizations.
0: Yeah, and that therein lies the, the rub. So – They they found out that a bunch of their videos were getting preemptively taken down, no copyright claims, preemptively taken down because while they're playing, I don't know, Super Mario Brothers, they're singing like, you're the best around. And now our podcast just got taken down (laughs) on the internet. And so, and I mean, this is like, (laughs) how could anyone say that this is cutting into their sales or hurting the brand? Like, so if I'm walking down the street and I'm singing out loud, like, am I going to get a fine like what is the the end game here for these companies
1: if if BMI or ASCAP or one of those organizations catches you sorry what was that second one being or ASCAP
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's A-S-C-A-B. yeah the, it, that's the thing
0: because it sounds like ASCAP the
1: American Society of Composers Authors and Publishers
0: I did not think that through <laughs> ASCAP <laughs>
1: Anyway, these organizations, I mean they I think they focus most of their efforts trolling like restaurants and bars and clubs and businesses that play music over speakers and they say you cannot play this stuff without paying royalties and that's just how the whole system's set up. Um which I can understand that, like you're you're featuring someone else's music in your business to sell, kind of the atmosphere of your business. So,
0: what if they were just playing the radio?
1: Well, then the royalties are being paid by the radio station.
0: But do those royalties cover the business that's benefiting by playing the music? Like this becomes
1: they, incredibly they might, they sticky. Might, they might still yeah. go after the business in that situation because them royalties. So popular artists love these organizations because they take all the flack and they go to town trying to get you revenue as an independent musician I just find it irritating and
0: <laughs> well and I think and I've even mentioned this before on the show but uh, Gangnam Style by Psy is the greatest case study in You're Wrong and Also You're Wrong because <laughs> he has the most popular video in the history of everything <laughs> His video was so popular, and this I, I know I mentioned. His video was so popular, YouTube had to change the way the integer is displayed because it couldn't show a big enough number.
1: Their double 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 int yeah. wasn't going to cover. Yeah, it
0: was. A, I think it was a thirty-two bit int. They had to upgrade it to a sixty-four bit int because it uh, it
1: Which went will over be good for the next you know yeah, six thousand years. Quite, well, I don't know if he releases
0: <laughs> another video, but I mean it it, it went over two billion views billion to billion views <laughs> it's a lot like yeah, and it's like a
1: third of the earth <laughs> yes. fourth maybe.
0: and a lot of his success and he admits this like he supported this a lot of his success came from he was like yeah you and your friends want to record yourselves sing my song do it you guys want to you know make a little dance video do it you want to remix part of it do it did everybody do yeah. all the things share my stuff make me more famous like because he or his marketing team or whatever they realize like only an idiot would turn away all of this love like <laughs> everybody seems to be happy with what we're doing why would we ask them like hey could you not tell your friends how happy you are with this song could you not tell them where to find it on YouTube yeah. could you please just be quiet about it
1: the canonical example of this is the happy birthday song which uh. is kind of an urban legend most people have heard of that um businesses that want to sing happy birthday to you can you know, oh, this in it, this is this an
0: urban legend? This isn't true?
1: No, I think it's actually true. I think it is true. Yeah.
0: I think Michael—I no, I always heard totally Michael true. Jackson own the rights. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, okay, you explain this, and I'm going to do live research.
1: So, I mean, this is just back to that point about anything that's considered a performance is subject to owing royalties to whoever owns the song being performed. And so even if you know, you're know you not using their recording or anything, but you just decide to break out into song and it's determined that this is a performance with an audience um, which apparently even reaches into bringing a cake out to someone in a restaurant. Um, you're singing happy birthday. Boom, you owe royalties.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to read this entire article on Snopes, um, although it actually looks really interesting, so I'll throw it into the show notes. The important part is... Yes, it is actually owned by someone, and they do actually pursue copyright claims if there's a public performance, which is why every restaurant has like, Happy, Happy Birthday from All of Us to You, or whatever they're like, stupid, made up some Creative Commons,
1: happy yeah, birthday some, song. some
0: public domain version. Um, but it, yeah, it's true, it is actually owned by some entity or organization. And I'll, I'll throw the Snopes article in the show notes. And uh, this, this is such a commonly asked question that when I started to type, who owns the copyright to the first was Happy Birthday? So yeah, this is this is legit. I tr- I trust <laughs> no. Also
1: to the Bible and Mein Kampf are the other. That's I'm glad those are back to back. At least I can speak to the Bible since it's translated. I bet the companies own the translation,
0: right? Because that's like a that's kind of like a specific performance, isn't it? Like they don't own the text; they own that version, right?
1: Yeah, right? and that's actually how a lot of things that you would think would be public domain are still owned by publishers because they were translated more recently. Right.
0: Or they have footnotes with references or some, but even in that case, it's like, Oh, well they own the thing they added. They don't own, you know, John 316 or
1: whatever. Yeah. Like
0: they own their contribution that I at least understand. Yeah. But I mean,
1: there's like some good, you know, if you're deep in your philosophy, there's some, you know, Kierkegaard was in the 1800s, but he wasn't translated into English until the 20th century. And like the oh, really yeah. good translations are not that old. And so, oh, so, and somebody, so that's going to be in copyright forever, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, what because is it? Now it's like 140 gets, years plus the life of the author well, or something it's a, anytime ridiculous.
1: anytime Mickey is about to be threatened, Disney yeah. goes to town, and it's the, the one thing about Disney. I guess there could be other things, but that's one thing about Disney. You're just like, ah, I just want to love you. I don't want to hate you.
0: Yeah. No, I, when I, I found out that they were chiefly responsible for our screwed up copyright law, I was like, oh, dude. And But I mean, I love their characters. I totally relate to, I don't want the bad people of the world to needlessly crap all over their characters just because they think that's how the world should be. Do
1: you feel like Odysseus has been completely destroyed no. as a character? Or? No, no, I don't, but
0: <laughs> you, you have to admit there are people who artists, people who just want to watch the world burn, whatever, who would intentionally do heinous things to those characters because they're those characters. If, Pippi Longstockings goes into public domain. She does not have the public love and hate that like Mickey Mouse does.
1: Like people would do Well, people can already deface Mickey Mouse for parody reasons. Uh, yeah,
0: they can, but there's a limit and they can be stopped if they do something like too hand and I'm not saying that doesn't excuse it. <laughs> I would I would accept that evil if it meant fixing our copyright laws. I just wouldn't be happy about it. Like it's a for me as a big Disney fan, like that's a tall price to pay, but it's still a worthwhile price. It just hurts my heart just thinking about it.
1: Let's get off this (laughs) this depressing topic and talk about something really cool. Like uh, Google has made it possible to run Android apps almost anywhere that Chrome exists.
0: Yeah. So this actually happened. kind of quietly a few months back, maybe, maybe six months where they got with specific partners. Uh, I know Evernote was one, I think Twitter might've been one, a few like big apps. And they said, okay, we're going to help you run your app on Chrome OS. So it'll run in like a little tiled window and it'll work basically the way it does on the phone. And we're going to kind of see how that goes. And everybody like that blew their minds and they're like, oh my God, all these apps are going to be, Androids going to run on Chrome and it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And then like radio silence <laughs> for like half a year. And then the classic Google
1: rollout. Of- <laughs> yeah.
0: Cause I mean, they, I feel like a lot of the stuff they do, they're really just trying to talk to developers and engineers, but it can't help become public news cause they're Google. So I was excited about this and then it was like ra- total radio silence. And I expected like, Oh, and then they're going to release like a few more apps and then they'll give their thumbs up to a few more apps. Well, no, in also classic Google style, they were like, JK floodgates open. (laughs) So now they've just said like, okay, any Android app is allowed to run on what's called the arc, which is uh, the Android runtime for Chrome. I think that's what that stands for. Yeah. And, uh, What that means is any app you could install on any Android device will now run on Chrome. And there's a specific crux to this. So if you know anything about Android, you know that most good apps rely on what's called Google Play Services. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the, like, smart API goodness comes from. Yeah. Well, to say any app runs on Chrome, it's like, well, not if there isn't Google Play Services. And you're right to think that. Google is making Google Play services run on on the ARC runtime.
1: So now you can have a MacBook and you can run Android apps on it. Correct. So or the, a Chromebook or Windows. Or anything, a yeah. Linux
0: server. Any, any place you have Chrome, that counts as Chrome OS. And uh, there's obviously a lot of amazing implications to this. Like I have some, not a lot, but I do have some Android apps that I actually prefer the Android version to like their web client where I would just use that. Yeah. Um, Pocket Cast is a good example. Like I love you guys a lot, but I just I don't use the web player enough that I want to pay for that service. I would rather just use the Android app.
1: Or just God forbid you want to post to Instagram while you're on a computer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because you still can't do that from the web client, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> just why?
1: <laughs> so, mobile
0: first. <laughs> mobile only. Yeah. No, so you, they, it, how long were they out before they even had the web viewer? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Too long. So, and that's just, how hard is it to show photos on the internet? Like, (laughs) solve problem, guys. Um, But this is something I think is really interesting because now the only problems that are left are mimicking or stubbing out phone hardware. So, like, in this, this Verge review, they said everything, like, ran super fast and it was really stable. The only time they ran into problems was, like, oh, the game is trying to use an accelerometer and there isn't one. So it just dies, or it's trying yeah. to access the camera and it doesn't understand that my laptop has a camera. It's looking for the phone camera, so it dies. But those are like really small problems compared to the entire Android runtime being like bundled up into Chrome. Yeah,
1: I wonder if if Microsoft and Apple will view this as a, a hostile ecosystem play because it's it's a, effectively a way to put apps on those pla- I mean their their platforms are open so you can install any software on either Windows or OS 10 but still it's kind of like this I'm not trying to say it's like bad but it's like kind of sneaking onto the platform through the browser yeah and if it became prominent and took hold it would it would be a platform threat against Microsoft I, and Apple I would
0: say this is more of a threat to Microsoft's way of life because Apple wants you to buy their services and their software. I mean, there's no doubt they want you to buy their stuff, just like any company. But if you buy a three thousand dollar MacBook Pro that's fully upgraded, and then you immediately install Windows Seven on it, you never buy any Mac software. They still kind of won. Yeah, you know, they still made a huge profit. They still have you every time you need an adapter. You're gonna have to buy an eighty dollar adapter from them. Like they, they still kind of are winning that game. They And they could function that way forever. They could stop making software. They could stop making OS. They could just make the hardware, and technically, they could still be successful. Microsoft, on the other hand, if you buy a Windows PC, Windows was heavily subsidized by the, the manufacturer, so they didn't get that much money. And then if you buy no Windows software, that's a problem for them.
1: Yeah. Well, they need to make that transition because they're not going to be able to keep selling Windows software.
0: Oh, no, they absolutely do, and I think they're trying to now, but the thing is if, well, one, Google and Android apps have a huge head start, and I mean there's – No there's a huge laundry list of how to geek articles about just all the crap in the Windows Store. Like they
1: It is really depressing.
0: It's really depressing. (laughs) Because it's just all malware. It's like nine out of ten are malware. And
1: some people would be tempted to be like, oh well there's crap in the the iOS app store and the Android app store. And it's like, yeah, there is, but You know, go to the Windows Marketplace and it's so much worse.
0: Well, because what people are doing in the Windows Marketplace, uh, as I understand it, is it's mostly uh, like a paywall wrapper around either a real app that the the person doesn't even own or even worse, just a web view. So like you have like VLC is one that gets ripped off a lot. So like you have the VLC website. And then I put a fake VLC app because VLC is free. Like it's always been free, probably be free forever. So someone puts this little paywall around it and then you go to download it and it's like, oh, hey, $9.99 to get the VLC app. And you give them your credit card and they just then let you go to the VLC website where you would have gone anyway. Wow, Yeah. And there's tons of that, tons and tons of that in the Windows store. And they've tried to purge it but then they didn't stick with it and a lot of it just came right back in.
1: They need to they need to rein that in if if they want to have hope of their own ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I mean they could try they need to do two things. They need to get out the poison, but they also need to try and wash it away with quality. Yeah. Like put in cuz I mean there's crap in the iOS store, but there's so much good stuff. You know, same thing yeah. with Android. There's crap, but there's a lot of good stuff. So you just, you're like, you ignore the, the cruft. You're just like, uh, yeah. whatever.
1: And I don't mean to say, yeah, we're not saying the other stores are perfect. I mean, there's developers that have left the Mac app store because of Apple's restrictions. And they said, like, we can't build a sustainable business in this app store because some of the things we need to do with our customers, you know, upgrade pricing,
0: various Beta testing,
1: Yeah, Um, They've been releasing some stuff that helps with the beta testing side, the test flight stuff. But yeah, um,
0: yeah, is that iOS only or is that Mac App Store too? That
1: solves it for iOS because Mac it was never that hard because you could just offer. Oh, yeah, separate from the the store. True. Um, but you know, I was just listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one, but they were talking about how it's kind of funny that on the iPad, um, it's really come down to Adobe and Microsoft kind of still being the big software publishers like yeah. you, you know there's a million office clones but no one's really built an empire sustain an a sustainable business doing productivity on the iPad and so it just kind of came down to well, Microsoft's still going to win here. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I mean they they still, for for all the ups and downs, they still have that recognizability. Yeah, which is is valuable. Like, but as I mean, a reason like, they still harp the
1: Windows brand. There was a good three or four years before Office showed up, e- even in crippled form, on the iPad. Oh
0: yeah, and it was terrible at first. And so
1: that that was just a huge opportunity, and lots of developers tried to capitalize on that. And yeah, there's there's the fact that Office is kind of still prominent, but I think it also says something about the iOS ecosystem that you can't grow to be a Microsoft. Throughout. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think it also like just to give Microsoft a pat on the back. I think it does say something about how hard that problem actually is, like. A word processor, I feel like we've pretty much nailed down word processors. Um, slide decks, uh, like that, that problem starts to get a little bit more complicated. And then when you start talking about like database apps, note taking apps, and then like Excel, even the most diehard Google fans or open software fans will admit like, no, Excel is something else. Like you can yeah. do crazy magic with Excel that ninety nine percent of us will never know about or understand. Yeah. But for, if you're like a CPA or you're a finance person, like you need honest to god Excel because it really is the best.
1: So I think which when, fun fact I think Excel was first on the Mac, which is kind of hilarious. No to kidding. Think about
0: that. You yeah, confirm that because that sounds totally yeah. shenanigans. But that's I think that's like where Microsoft does deserve some credit is there's a reason like Word has kind of been unseated a little bit. And some people prefer Keynote to PowerPoint, but it's like a little bit of a toss up, but no one challenges Excel and access kind of has outlived its usefulness in the world, but it's not, there aren't really a lot of good direct comparisons. Like now there's more sophisticated tools that do more complicated things, but I don't ever remember there being another like Local database app, the way uh, Access was.
1: So I found this. Microsoft released the first version of Excel. Oh, nope, it's it's vague. (laughs) I guess they they had a spreadsheet program called MultiPlan in 1982. MultiPlan became popular, but on MS-DOS it was losing to Lotus. And then it says, and this is where I thought I had it, but it's actually hard to understand. Microsoft released the first version of Excel for the Macintosh on September 30th, 1985, and the first Windows version in November 87. So it was at least... It was close. Yeah. And it sounds like the first time they called anything Excel, it was on the Macintosh, even though they were making spreadsheet apps before that. Wow. So that was correct. Though hilariously not important, because (laughs) Excel is not great on the Mac, (laughs) it
0: not the latest the beta that we're using at work is it's not bad yeah it's still not it's
1: always been more sluggish on the mac yeah
0: well i feel like i've always wondered because you know apple software like safari and itunes on windows has always kind of sucked and vice versa and it's like are you guys just not as good at it or are you just not trying yeah. as hard like what's happening here
1: Yeah, it's because Microsoft actually has a very enthusiastic Mac developer group, and they're like, they're publishing blog posts, and they're like, we love the Mac. We're like the little weird camp of trying to do it right. And I think there's probably some people inside Microsoft. I mean, it's a huge company.
0: How could there not be people who represent like every viewpoint? But there's got to be some people inside Microsoft who are like, I love some of what we're like, I love Visual Studio as like a development environment. I still like Linux as like a security and services layer. You know, like I've yeah. heard, I've heard, uh, I think Paul Therod argued like one of the worst mistakes Microsoft ever made was not being Linux based.
1: Yeah. It's, it's becoming more and more of a liability, I think, as time goes on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's really weird to think like there are, Basically, two things in the universe: there are Linux and Microsoft Windows. Yeah, you know, and that's because Linux is available in a variety of flavors, but it's that's really all there is: is those two things. Yeah, I mean, OS Ten is free BSD underneath, barely, but it is.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's. It's sort of like the, what is the the line about Unix? Like, you either use it, or you try to recreate it poorly.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that. In regard to a few specific parts of Linux, but, or Unix, but yeah, that's, the general is like you either just use a POSIX system or you do a really shit job (laughs) reinventing it.
1: Yeah. I don't have a professional opinion on, on how strong Windows is as a system. It seems pretty stable now. It seems like they got their house really well in order, but it just seems like anytime I use it, I'm like, oh, I like gaming. I don't want to use this for anything else. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and this is where I'm really – if I had a little bit more time for just good old-fashioned screwing around, I'd really like to install a a Windows 10 um, developer machine or or test machine just because I – I really liked Windows 7. Like when I went from XP to Vista, I was like, and then then I went back to XP. And then when seven came out, I was like excited because at that time I was still like a Windows guy and I wanted to see Windows be successful. And then when eight came out, I was like, (laughs) it just, just, it's, I mean, they've stuck to that like odd successful system. Like every other is really good. And so I'm like Star Trek movies. (laughs) Exactly like that. So I'm really optimistic for 10 because I feel like not only have they stuck to this every other system thing, which is just so weird. You'd think they'd learn that pattern eventually, but it seems like they have actually changed the entire course of the ship. They're like, okay, we got to get modern here and like straighten things out. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably never going to switch back to windows just because I've really fallen in love with Mac hardware, but I mean, somebody proved me wrong. You know, like Dell, HP, somebody come out with like a gangbusters laptop Actually, and kick their ass. supposedly
1: their newest Dell laptop is amazing. Like they did what you always say. There's like no bezel on the screen. Good. It's it's an ultra book format and apparently it's slick as hell. So look into that. They They do one of their- It was like turning heads even in the like Mac blogosphere that I tend to be insulated <laughs> in a little bit. They're like- well, when the new MacBook got revealed, I mean I think the Mac faithful still like the new MacBook and are Holy shit, it's it. <laughs> gorgeous. But yeah, they were like, Oh, Dell did a good job. This is worth looking at if you like Windows.
0: Oh my god, it's so pretty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you they already answered you.
0: <laughs> See this because I honestly I would probably go Linux. Just and that's not a knock against Windows. It's because I need a POSIX system to. Yeah, you don't have
1: the weird hacked virtualized.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about going vagrant life, and that's another conversation. But this this is really God. The bezel is so tiny. I love it. Okay, I need to go into a shop and like pick this up (laughs) and look at it. But it's only eight bones. That's (laughs) that's you. I don't think there's any Max that cheap. Isn't the cheapest one a thousand?
1: um the 11 inch air i think gets down to eight or 900
0: okay so it's it's close yeah yeah th- this requires well, further research while
1: you wipe the drool off the table <laughs> we should get to our last major topic of this episode and that is amazon is mid making weird stuff <laughs> <laughs> which
0: i think is like that you just copy paste that sentence every six months and- yeah
1: so the thing we're going to talk about today is the Amazon Dash button. But before we explain what the button is, um, before we updated our show notes, you just had Amazon Dash in here. I did. I wasn't familiar with Amazon Dash, which was actually a product from earlier. Yeah. And so I Googled Amazon Dash, and what I discovered was Amazon had taken the familiar pregnancy test device and decided to make <laughs> a tech product out of it. <laughs>
0: A form factor all of our <laughs> users are familiar with.
1: Um, it has nothing to do with pregnancy tests, but the Amazon Dash was basically this, this little <laughs> dildo-ish. <laughs> it's a little wand. It's a dildo, okay? <laughs> it's a little wand. And you would use it to scan products in your home if you wanted to remember, like, oh, I'm running low on peanut butter. I don't want to forget to order some peanut butter. You would scan the barcode. It would throw it on an Amazon wish list or something. Yeah, a shopping list. And then later, since you, you know, in the moment, you're like, oh, I don't want to forget this. And then later you look at your list and you're like, boom, buy it all. Um, well, then, you know, I totally missed that thing existing.
0: Yeah, I remember when it got announced and then completely forgot it existed, which is why I confused them in the show notes. (laughs)
1: Um, So what Amazon has done is gone way further. And on the surface, this is going to seem ridiculous and we're going to shit all over it. But there is something more interesting that we'll get to. So Amazon has now created the Dash Button, which is a brand dedicated a uh, connected button you put in your house. So like on your washing machine, you'll have a Tide button and there's a Tide logo and then there's a button and then there's a little light and that's it. Yep. And when you single purpose, when you realize you're getting low on detergent, you press that button and even f- step beyond the pregnancy test dash. Um, <laughs> uh, it will just flat out order detergent It'll order Tide, and it will ship it to your door. So you press button, Tide shows up a day or two later.
0: Yeah, it's Prime, so I assume one to two days. Yeah. Um, So this is – there's an interesting reversal here because the original Dash, the pregnancy test-looking Dash, (laughs) that one added stuff to your shopping list, and then you said, okay, send me all these things that I scanned. The new one, the button, is the reverse. It's a one-click – And then it notifies you, hey, you have X amount of time to cancel this order. Otherwise, we're sending it. Yeah. Which, I mean, you said it. It was my immediate thought. I'm sure everybody in the the tech Podcasto podcastosphere had the same (laughs) thought. Like, so what about when my toddler just sits there and like hammers on this button? And maybe there's, there may be a solution to this. Maybe it won't order more than once a day. Maybe if it receives too many orders in a short amount of time, it just ignores them all. Or it
1: asks you. Yeah. If you, did you really mean? Yeah. Did you
0: really mean 25 gallons of tide? <laughs> 25 gallons of tide are on their way to your house now. So yeah, I mean, there, there's obvious solutions for this. I just don't know if they are in
1: place. The other thing is, I don't like, and you said this earlier, is there a brand you're so loyal to that you would have a button dedicated to only that brand's stuff being sent to you?
0: No. And, and I, the thing is there are brands I'm so indifferent to, like, I don't know exactly what kind of detergent is in my house right now because I don't care all that much. Like, I know we tend to buy, like, more eco-ish friendly stuff, like, slightly harsh or less harsh yeah. chemicals.
1: Is it nature on the front? Is it a teddy yeah. bear? Yeah. Is yeah. it is, is, a is pillow? It,
0: <laughs> is it children running through a field of flowers? Is it uh, a sheet drying on a line in the sun? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think it's Arm & Hammer, but I'm not sure. And the thing is, if next time a different eco-friendly brand is on sale, I'm going to get that. Like, I don't care. I'm not even going to get it. Susan's going to get it. Cause she goes shopping and she no, feels she's,
1: she's going to press the button. <laughs> she, yeah, she is.
0: She's going to use her Amazon dash button. But that's the thing is like, there are a couple things like there's also this Amazon subscription service. Do you use this for anything? Mm-mm. So there are a few things that we have on like recurring order, but we haven't set up the auto ordering because the time frame that we go through this item. So I'll, I'll just say it's, it's baby wipes, right? So, We use a predictable amount of them in a predictable amount of time. So we could just have them show up like monthly, but it's really not that hard to just be like, oh, we're almost out, order more Yeah, like that. And the thing is, I don't have enough items in my life. Like I don't just need paper towels to show up. I don't just need coffee filters to just show up at my house. Like when I'm running low, I just
1: buy more. So this dedicate button seems kind of stupid to us. I think we're in agreement. But what's the more interesting thing going on behind the scenes?
0: So this this is where Jeff Bezos shows his evil mastermindness, and uh, I had not heard anything about this until I was researching this in the show notes, which shows I actually do my job. That's cool. And uh, <laughs> there's the dash replenishment service. So for anyone who doesn't know this about Amazon, they sell stuff. It's not really their business. They're they're a web services business. They run the internet. So there's this, this dash replenishment service, which is an API Amazon hosts that hooks into their store that you can make a smart device that talks to that API and buy stuff. So here's the quintessential example. And this is the very first example on, on their page. Coffee machine has beans in the top where it just holds them all the time, grinds them at brew time so that means it knows how many beans it has because yep. there's like a little sensor. When it gets low, it orders more coffee. And that may sound like a really trivial, stupid thing, but that's the level of convenience I actually need. Don't make me say I'm low on Tide. Yeah. Just make the bottle know also, I'm low on Tide. By
1: making an API, you can have software that that you can change. Unlike a button that's hardwired for Tide, Yeah, you can be like... Oh, I have a, a checkbox in my, you know, my Amazon account that's this is the kind of coffee I love or these are the five kinds randomized. Yeah, um, you can do
0: all kinds of crazy things. Yeah,
1: and so it's not give me Tide, it's give me my detergent whatever I decide that is or within these brands get the cheapest detergent for me.
0: Right. You can do way smarter stuff or like if if you're doing coffee as as the example like give me a coffee I've never ordered. You know, give me a, a brand of coffee I've never ordered up to $15 a pound and when I get low, send me that one next. Like you can do crazy stupid stuff. Um a, another example they have on here is Brother printers. Like it, you know, so my wife works from home and one of the few business expenses she has is printer ink and this would be awesome. Like she just has to keep track of it and it's not like that's hard work. The thing alerts her when it's low on ink. She orders it on Amazon and shows up two days later. But wouldn't it be cool if two days later the printer was just like, oh, hey, two days ago you were getting low on ink, so I bought you some. Yeah. Right? Like that's a predictable enough expense. And Amazon is good enough about returns that if a false order was made, you could just ship it back.
1: Yeah. And they can have, you know, protections in place. Like, yeah, if it orders more than once a month, check with the user if they really meant it.
0: Right. Because it's done in software, you can do smart things like that.
1: So this this so that's way more interesting. Yeah. And I like so h- what what do we say about this button? It's just the way to get the idea in front of people like hey, what if your machines could order their own replacement parts? And as an intermediate step just to get you comfortable, we'll keep placing the control in your hands. I think that's exactly what it is. I think this is the consumer
0: facing marketing to the developer side. So the developers really care about the API and integrating it with their devices and existing companies don't want a stupid button. They want to make a smart device that they yeah. get people to buy for $1,000 and blah, 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 blah. And then this makes consumers get used to the idea of, oh, my coffee machine buys coffee for, I don't buy coffee, the coffee yeah. machine buys coffee. I don't buy printer ink, the printer buys printer ink.
1: Yeah, it is interesting how Amazon is leveraged this way that you're right, they aren't they aren't just a company that sells stuff. That that's really just their entryway into every single corner of our lives mm-hmm. because every <laughs> single corner of our lives has products you might buy. And so now they are just the interface API layer to your entire life. Yep. Or it's it's one way in. And I mean I think Google and Apple will have a good chance to well, maybe not to actually sell the product you're asking for, but to at least be part of the API framework. Because I could also see Internet of things to my phone says, hey, you're low on printer ink. Your printer told your phone it was low on ink. Right. Tap your fingerprint. Boom, it's coming.
0: Yep. So- well, and I uh, I just had this conversation yesterday. Um, like, I don't really want a smart thermostat because I keep my house at, like, a temperature. I don't need it to go up and down all the time. What I do want, since we live in Colorado and the weather is frequently beautiful, I want my heater or air conditioning to turn off when I open the windows. Yeah. And then when I close them, I want it to know it's okay to turn back on because as my father used to say, I am not heating all of outdoors. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when I open the windows, I want the heater to just know like, Oh, it's a nice day. We can just turn yeah. off. And then at nighttime, when I close them, I want it to just turn back on. And then an extension of that would be like, I don't want to, I have a, an inbox reminder when it works in Chrome. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have a reminder in inbox every month to change the filter in my heater well if i don't use the heater enough to justify changing it every month yeah can't there just be a little sensor in there that just tells me like hey your filter's dirty yeah just oh no hey there's a new filter on the way to your house because your filter's dirty yeah. so change it when the new one arrives that's what i want i don't even want to, i want to be completely divorced being, from
1: it it's it's being uh sent through the Amazon uh, drone program. That's right. I couldn't get the words out.
0: Yeah, it'll actually just leave your window open and it will fly in and little, Drop ro- it right little robot to- arms will pull the old filter out and carry it away. <laughs> this has become like first world problems, the discussion. <laughs> but I mean, we so. <laughs> well,
1: that's the fun of this, is talking about the most crazy futuristic version of this. But
0: Yeah, and you know, here, uh, one of the things on this list, on the, the Amazon Dash replenishment service page, uh, which I'll add to the show notes, is um, is Brita filters. And this, I mean, this is incredibly minor, but do you remember when they added the little light to filters? No. Okay, so there's, that, that's fine. <laughs> so I'll explain it to you. So there's uh, the the kind of filter you screw onto like a faucet, and then there's like the jug kind in your, your fridge. And they added relatively recently, like mid-2000s maybe, a little light. So that when the filter, I have no idea how it senses it, but when it starts to degrade, um, the little light goes off like yellow and it's like, hey, the filter is like going to need to be replaced. And then when it's gone full useless, it turns red like, hey, this filter is not filtering. Um, They added that like relatively recently. So why not just take out the little LED, put a little like smart chip in there. And then it's like, oh, when that filter is not going to work anymore, a new one just shows up and just throw the old one in recycling and I'm done right cuz for a long time like i still have a little water bottle with a filter in it and i don't know when that filter's i'm sure it's done yeah. i don't know when it went bad did it go bad from time did it go bad from use like i have no idea because there's no way to test it
1: yeah so i mean all these smart appliances are they're going to be cutting edge but when do you think they will finally be regular person ubiquitous
0: uh that's such a tough i i want to say decade or less. So 2025 before 2025 because I think there's going to be a tipping point where since this stuff is so like obvious, like it's 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 the kind of bragworthy thing like your friend comes over and you show them you're like, "Oh, check out this coffee pot I got. It orders coffee for me," right? Like there's going to be a lot of word of mouth marketing yeah. whereas like if you get, you know, like some new app or something, you might not tell anybody about the software you got. But if you have like a thing you're probably going to brag about it. And if you have like company over, you're over at somebody's house and you have a smart device with you, like you're probably going to kind of shove it in their face a little bit. Um, (laughs) So I think there's going to be a tipping point when that's happened enough that non-connected people are
1: suddenly like, I want that. I think that was the first onion story about the iPod. It just showed a guy in the street and it said, iPod flaunted. Uh, yeah well because i mean think about you're walking down the street with a disc man
0: and you see somebody with even a first gen ipod and you're like what is that i want that because even if it could hold only one cd plus one songs worth of music it's better than your disc
1: man my cdrs man
0: (laughs) you want to take us home
1: yeah i think so so that's it for episode 61 of Flipping Tables. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, you can check out the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 61. And we'll have some nice videos and links to all these articles. Uh, we love feedback. So tweet at us. My name's Mike Edwards and I'm on Twitter at medwardsmusic, Music. And I am at Lions in Beto. Uh, beyond tweeting you can subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and it's just delivered right onto your phone every week automatically it's the best way to live so hop into your favorite podcast app you could use pocketcast on android or overcast.fm on iphone and uh use the the rss buttons on our website and you can subscribe and that's awesome um can also support us directly on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, depending on your support level, uh, we might actually say your name on the air. And so with that, I want to give our special thanks to Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, and Sean Byrne. We you, love you guys so you, much. You make the show possible. And there it is. We'll see you next week. See you next week.